Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me today are filmmaker Fax Barr and activist Diane Wilson. Both Diane and Fax will be speaking with me about their documentary, Waterkeeper, which is now in production. Waterkeeper explores the astonishing life of Diane Wilson, Waterkeeper for the San Antonio Bay Estuary System. The film interweaves several storylines revolving around this visionary, funny, and intrepid warrior who's been fighting her entire life for the water she grew up on. The film, which is now in production, captures Diane's newest fight as it unfolds like an environmental true crime. Here's an excerpt from the film's fundraising trailer. Being a waterkeeper is the most natural thing in the world because that is my identity. I'm a fourth generation fisherwoman and I'm a waterkeeper. My whole life I've been that. I remember being uh, four and five years old. The bay was this old woman and she had this long dress and it was like, she was the bay. I could literally see her and feel her and I knew what she smelled like and she loved it when I came down there. August 1989. I was working at Froggy Shrimp Company. I was in the fish house and I had on white rubber boots, cup of coffee in my hands and I had my boots up on the desk. I had this one shrimper, his name was Bill Bailey and he had three different types of cancer and he came in and pitched this newspaper to me and he said, read this. It was a front page and it was the toxic release inventory, which is the first time industry in the United States had to report to the public what's going out the smokestacks, what's going in the water. And our county, Calhoun County, we had 12,000 people. I mean, it's a tiny county. And we were number one in the nation. We had half the toxic waste generated in the state of Texas, right there in our county. You got Alcoa, Union Carbide Dow, Sea Drift Coke, DuPont, Enios, Formosa. Formosa probably has the biggest discharge. They're probably averaging nine to 10 million gallons a day of toxic waste into your estuaries. The film interweaves Diane's epic 30-year war with multinational petrochemical giant Formosa Plastics with her remarkable life story. The only female shrimper in her community, Diane has five children. The youngest is autistic. She's authored four books, and is currently working on her fifth. As a writer, producer, and director, Fax Barr has won a directing Emmy for Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. That film also won Best Documentary from the National Board of Review. Fax has also served as a community organizer in the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign. He currently volunteers for Inside Out Writers, 
teaching creative writing to incarcerated youth in Los Angeles. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share. And now on to my conversation with Fax Barr and Diane Wilson. Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, Diane Wilson and Fax Barr. Diane and Fax are part of the team behind a, a film in the making, a documentary film in the making called Waterkeeper. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Diane is the subject and the protagonist of much of the film. And in Fax, um, who has a... Uh, super interesting career of his own uh is is one of the um members of the producing team so thank you both for joining me today on making media now thank you michael oh thank you very much and just to give our listeners a sense of um geography today where are each of you speaking to us from i'm in a little fish village uh called cedar texas on the mid texas gulf coast in fact, and I'm in a little place you've never heard of called Los Angeles. <laughs> Los Angeles, <laughs> vaguely familiar. I'll have to I'll have to break out a, a map after our conversation. You can Google map it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so here we have a union of a, uh, a a deeply experienced Hollywood filmmaker, screenwriter, producer uh, in the person of of Fax Bar and a shrimp boat captain. Tell me how these worlds collide, and more importantly, tell me a little bit about why it was the mission of Waterkeeper that brought you together. And Diana, I'll, uh, I'll let you kick off that part of the story. Like I said, I'm a fourth generation fisherwoman. My family has been around uh, these bays probably about 130 years, and I have been personally fighting the chemical plants and what they've been doing to the water for um, going on 33 years now. And uh, it's a pretty good long time. And uh, I actually had uh, someone from uh, Waterkeeper who sent me an email and wanted to introduce me to facts and what they were doing. And uh, uh, so, I'm, you know, I'm always real open to most doors. And so I got to meet Fax and he's been wonderful. I got a wonderful team and they've came down a few times. And uh, but I am sure uh, Fax can uh, give you a more pointed direction. So Fax, yeah, give us give us a sense of the origins and the mission of the Waterkeeper movement how you came to know about the movement and uh, how you became involved in particularly telling Diane's story. A couple of years ago, um, I didn't really know what the Waterkeeper Alliance was or what Waterkeepers were. I'd heard, <clears throat> I knew about the River Keepers and the Hudson River. That's sort of a famous 
story about how they cleaned up the Hudson, a bunch of shad fishermen up there mm-hmm. back in the 60s. So I went to a, I was invited to a fundraiser for Waterkeeper here in L.A. and went to it. And <laughs> I walked into the where the fundraiser was and they had blown up photographs of these people from all around the planet, uh, poster sized pictures. And they were calling them water warriors. And I was like, what's that? And they had a little handout that had thumbnail descriptions of each of these people and what they're doing. And I was so inspired by these people like Diane, who are just local people who don't get paid for their work. They volunteer and they look after their local waterways. And as I came to understand through the course of that evening, how dire the situation of, you know, water supply and the pollution of water is all across the planet. It struck me that this would make a, a, an excellent documentary. Mm-hmm. So I contacted Waterkeeper Alliance um, and knew somebody who was on the board there and uh, brought her on. She came on as a producer and we started Zooming with Waterkeepers. Uh, this, and this was right when the pandemic first hit. So we started contacting Waterkeepers all around the planet. And uh, each story was so amazing um how selfless and brave these people are and how really they they're it's dangerous work as diane will tell you (laughs) that some of these entities do not want to be questioned um and they tend to strike back in really serious ways so uh, one of those zooms was with diane and when i heard her story uh we just said man this is just an astonishing um, victory that that or string of victories really that Diane has has put together and uh, so we went out and um, spent a week with her and shot some footage and I put together a little short and um, we're using that to fundraise now um, but Diane's story is just just extraordinary and really the kind of story that we need it's she has managed to with nothing with zero resources really fight uh, some of the most powerful entities, you know, petrochemical entities in Texas and the world, really. And it just goes to show that you don't need anything but your own determination and heart to make a real impact. So I was inspired by that. Absolutely. And Diane, tell us a little bit about uh, what kind of the precipitating event or events were that made you uh, take a dive into this type of, of activism. Well, I was, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, normally a shrimp boat captain and did about, you know, from oystering to crabbing to fin fishing to shrimping. And uh, at one point I was running a fish house and a fish house is where, you know, uh, maybe you got 15 or 20 boats and they bring in their catch. And so you're getting their catch off, giving them fuel, ice, wheeling and dealing with the shrimpers, that type of thing. and um, I had this shrimper who came in and he had three different types of cancer. He had lumps all over his arm, but he was still shrimping. And one day he came in and pitched this uh, newspaper at me and it was a front page story. And it was the first time ever the toxic release inventory came out. And that was a bill passed by Congress. And it said because of what happened in Bhopal and all the people that died from Union Carbide and all these thousands that died is that we are not going to let citizens not know what is in their communities. And so 
this was the first time industry had to say what's in their smokestacks, what's in the water, what's in the trucks, what's in the landfills, what's in the injection wells. And believe it or not, my little county, what? We probably had 12, 14,000 people in the entire county. And we were number one in the nation. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it blew my mind. And I had, I've been there my whole life. My family had been there their whole lives. And you never hear one word about industry. It's never in the paper. It's just this very low profile and they do what they do. And we had half of the toxic waste that was generated in the state of Texas right there in our county. And so I am I am really an introvert. I'm real quiet normally. <laughs> and I love the day because it's quiet and I'm left alone. But I was so flabbergasted with that that I went down to City Hall and I said, I want to have a meeting about this article. And so they put my name down for a meeting. And by the next day, I had the city secretary down there and is like, uh, Diane, you just got to move this meeting. You just you just can't do this meeting. And then I started uh, I had the, the bank president. I have never had the bank president at the fish house ever. And here he came in in his three piece suit and he said, Diane. Are you trying to start a vigilante group to roast the industry alive? <laughs> and I, I was like flabbergasted. It's like, and, and it just one right after another. And they were even calling my brothers who generally do not deal with females. And they, they, <laughs> they call my brothers and said, won't you simmer your sister down? And they're like, you know, and uh, they didn't even know what they were talking about. And it's uh, and so that's how it started on this roller coaster of uh, trying to push me to not even begin. And uh, and it just so happened it was when um, the big, the biggest plastic expansion Texas had ever had was coming into our community and then we were number one in the nation for toxic disposal in it. And that and the uh, the the plastics corporation, the plastic company that was Formosa Plastic Plastics, correct? Oh, yes. That was when they did their huge expansion. And it was like they had been promised everything by the governor, by the congressman, by the every official TCEQ, you know, EPA. And it was like. We want this company in. We want the jobs. And it's like, you can have everything. And that's when I fell into it. I, I really fell right into it. So the stage is kind of set for a just a classic kind of uh, David versus Goliath face off, except in this in this instance, David takes the form of uh, a, a, an introverted, self-described introverted, quiet woman. That's right. <laughs> I swear. Yeah, it's I am part of the world where, you know, oftentimes industry is going to get what industry wants. And it can be very easy to hear that. Don't rock the boat. Because oh, yeah. there's a, there are jobs at stake, there are certain livelihoods at stake, etc. Um, what was it about this particular instance 
that made you act in a way that sounds almost counter to your nature? Well, well, it was. That's the strange thing about it. It was totally counter to my nature. And it was like, you know, it just made me realize is that and, and I don't think I'm special. I think this happens to everyone. I think in their lives, there is always an instant when you can make a very difficult choice that you would think has nothing to do with you or where you're going or your personality or your goal. And by making that right decision, it can change your whole life. It's like, you know, quite frankly, I almost feel like it's a, a key to the universe. I, you know, I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the uh, teaser trailer that that you provided uh, before our conversation, uh, there's a wonderful uh, line where you say that you you lost the world, but you gained your soul, which is sort of twist putting on its head that that uh, biblical reference that says that asks, you know, what gaineth a man if he if he wins the world, but loses his soul. That's um, right. Facts, I'm curious, in the, the stories of the other water keepers that you've become aware with, uh, have you found that there has been kind of a, a personally inspiring instance that motivated these other water keepers from around the world to um, do the type of work they're doing also? Yes. That's one of the questions I ask everybody is, why are you doing this work? What's what's in it for you? And to a person, it's similar stories to Diane. They suddenly woke up to understanding what was really happening in their communities and how egregious the pollution was or the water scarcity, the water grabs were, and they decided to devote their lives to fighting it and mm-hmm. fighting for water for their communities, not even for themselves, it's for their communities. And Diane, she's not, you know... She's not shrimping anymore, but she's fighting for the people who do. And she's fighting for the survival of those bays and an extraordinary group in the Middle East. There's a waterkeeper in the West Bank, waterkeeper in Israel and waterkeeper in Jordan. And they work together. They formed an organization there. It's one of the very few cross-border organizations in the Middle East. And they're fighting for the Jordan River, which is uh, the most famous river in the world. I mean, yeah, Jesus was baptized yeah, yeah. there. <laughs> a, a group with, um, you know, no shortage of differences between them and yet brought together uh, through a common goal. Exactly. And to me, you know, people are fighting about mask mandates and this and that and, you know, culture wars. We've got one fight right now. That's it. It's the world. The planet is heating at a rate that has never we've never had. And we've got. 10 years before this thing, before we have very, very serious consequences. So we should all be fighting for this one thing. Even the industry should be fighting for it because there's no future if we continue on this path. So that's what I found these people are are doing. And I want to be part of that group. Diane, how do you um, how do you win over or do you even try to win over? Uh, you know, your fellow shrimpers, your the the people, the members of your uh, community, the members of your family, even that basically have gone along to get along and and frankly, maybe been intimidated uh, in some very real ways because you've got to have deep pockets. You know, the uh, the um, chemical and energy corporations can lawyer you to death. 
Um, how does somebody like yourself underscore what's at stake and and make it make it feel like it really does impact the lives of the of the people in the community that you're part of? Uh, well, I found out there were three things that uh, I was fighting against. It was not only the environmental issue, but I was fighting this this gender thing as people were really in my community in this area of Texas, they were real upset that a woman was doing this. And they, I can't tell you how many times they told me I was hysterical and dying. Where are your kids? And then there's this whole other thing about class issue that I was a fisherwoman, high school education, and it's like, I knew nothing. And so they would constantly, I mean, I would even have reporters come up to me and say, Diane, we we can't quote you, but give us somebody smart that we can quote. And so I got this all the time. And, uh, and, and generally uh, I didn't win people over because the corporations were so powerful. They had so much money. They were making a billion dollars in my community and the politicians, the elected officials had jobs with them. The mayors had contract, the senators had contracts with them and people were just afraid. And, uh, and so, you know, like I, I know with, even with my family, <laughs> when when they found out some of the things that I were doing, you know, I remember my sister came up and told me, she said, Diane, you need counseling. And, you know, and that's what and, and industry to this day, you know, because I've, I've got sources, whistleblowers, all of these plants and they talk mm-hmm. to me and I've got uh, guys inside management at Formosa and uh, I'm known as the crazy lady. They, they think I'm crazy. They still think I'm crazy. I have people come up to me and say, Diane, really, why are you doing this? And it's that is amazing that in these times, people still cannot believe that you are trying to save the base. They think, oh, she's trying to get a truck. Oh, she's trying to get a job at Formosa. And it's like, or she wants fame. I have been thrown that so many times in addition to having to endure you know innuendo and name calling and condescension um you actually did suffer some actual real loss there there was there wasn't there uh tell us what happened with your boat oh <laughs> well the thing is i would you know i have a 42 foot shrimp boat to cb and if you know shrimpers it that is the thing most dear to the heart. It's kind of like a um, a farmer in his farm. And uh, I was out uh, shrimping and I was in the middle of uh, quite a bit of uh, civil disobedience. You know, mainly I found out that's how I worked. It came down to civil disobedience. Uh, what form and did that take? I was out there shrimping. Well, I did hunger strikes. I climbed towers. I uh, did. I got on their property and sat right in front of their signs. I I did uh, pretty much anything that would draw attention to it because that 
was the petitions didn't work. The lawsuits don't work. The the uh, public hearings. What a joke. And so the only way you could um, change the dynamics is hunger strikes. Well, generally, uh, hunger strikes work for me a lot because I've did quite a few hunger strikes and uh 13 is it 13 you know and (laughs) let me just say one thing let me just say let me just say one thing so diane was like i was like so hunger strike why hunger strikes was it gandhi and she goes well yeah it's gandhi but also it's cheap i mean you don't eat it's actually cheaper than not being on a hunger strike i didn't have any money so that's right Uh, it works exactly sometimes pragmatism rules the day Right. <laughs> Facts. I'm curious how you come to this story uh, as a as a filmmaker and as a storyteller and as a screenwriter because you you you've got an impressive resume of of a lot of screenwriting credits to your name. Uh, so you become aware of this movement, the Waterkeeper movement. You become aware of the particulars of Ty- Diane's story. How do you go about forming all of this into sort of you know kind of one unifying narrative? framework. Diane's story is just a natural for film. I mean, you said it before, it's a David versus Goliath story. She went up against Formosa Plastics, one of the biggest petrochemical companies, multinationals in the world, and she won. She won this lawsuit, although they continue to pollute, which is another, which is an ongoing part of the story. So that that's a that's a basic narrative frame for the story. But after Diane won the lawsuit, and she started to plow this money back into the community and reestablish the fisheries and, and, and healing the bay, she found there was a new threat to the bay. And this is a pipeline company, a recently formed pipeline company named Max Midstream that is proposing a scheme to build a new uh, export terminal in, uh, in, in her bay. The problem, of course, is that the bay has been so egregiously polluted by Alcoa. They had an aluminum refinery there, and they how much um, aluminum do they do they put out into the bay, Diane? Uh, oh, the mercury is a million two hundred thousand pounds. Million two hundred thousand pounds of mercury into this bay. It's now a super fun site. So the idea is just to let that mercury sit on the settlement and 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 be buried over time, mm-hmm. but. Because they want to make this new export terminal, they want to they have to dig through that mercury to widen and deepen the shipping channel to allow these big tankers to come in to get this Permian oil crude out. So as soon as Diane makes has one victory, there's somebody else coming along with some other scheme that's incredibly toxic. So that's that's the ongoing story that we're telling as well. Diane's new fight. So she wins the Formosa thing, and now suddenly there's a new threat to the Bay. And my guess is if, if she defeats these guys, there's going to be some other threat to the Bay. I and mean, there's always going to be somebody who's trying to commodify this resource. Uh, and, and to its, you know, without any regard to its future. Diane, with your, um, particularly your court victory over Formosa, uh, did you find that you had won over any hearts and minds of your, um, you know, your contemporaries, your community members, your family members? Uh, I, I actually did. I have a, you know, used to, I had absolutely no one who would publicly come out and say anything positive, not a single person. And after I won that, 
I started getting people who would like on Facebook would uh, say she did a great job or whatever, whatever. And uh, but uh, but it's still it's very hard. You know, like I've had officials come up to me and they say, like, for instance, I'm fighting this dredging from this oil company and they come up and they're like, I really like what you're doing, Diane. But, you know, because of my job, I cannot say anything. So there is still that reluctance to go against the oil industry mm-hmm. or the petrochemical industry. Have you found to address that concern over jobs or broadly broadly stated economic issues, have you found any advocates that help you tell the story around uh, both taking measures that are good for the environment and good for the economy? Well, that's one of the things we were doing. You know, when we got 50 million from Formosa, we put 20 million dollars into a sustainable co-op fishery and you know where we are we have the vietnamese we have the hispanic we have the uh uh um, low (laughs) income bracket uh white fishermen and so we are i mean these towns here the fish houses are literally gone they are no longer there the community is dead so we are trying to put this money into these communities, into this co-op and put all of these fishermen back to a job and to revive the community. And uh, and so we are literally trying to do that because prior to that, the fisheries were the things that was put at risk and they were the sacrificial thing they threw and said, you know, this is a trade-off. We're going to have petrochemical jobs and we're going to lose the fisheries. And we are bringing that back. And uh, there has to be another option to plastic on our bays and that oil going through there to export it to China or wherever they're shipping it. And that story you tell about the communities that are impacted by this um, uh, environmental degradation, the pollution and whatnot, is one that can be told dozens and dozens of times um, all over the country, uh, particularly in uh, Gulfport regions um, where you, you know, you, you've got uh, low income uh, workers, low income population that they're, they're going to suffer uh, the results of the pollution of waterways and and the soil and the air. Demographically, those also tend to be the populations that the polluters will go to and say, you want to keep the government and its regulation out of your life. And we're going to draw some absurd line between our right to line our pockets and pollute your water with your freedom. Freedom to do what? Well, I guess it's the freedom for them to put jobs. I know, like, for instance, uh, like Formosa, they were building, they got the Formosa Plastics 2,500 acres, $7 billion operation in Texas. They're taking it directly to Louisiana and going to the officials in Louisiana and said, we're putting a $9 billion a facility down here that's going to be putting it's going to be the biggest thing in the United States and going to be putting all these jobs down there, except, you know, right now it's uh, 
It's ruin, it will ruin the fisheries. It will ruin the bayous. It will, <laughs> matter of fact, they want to build on top of the graves in Louisiana of the uh, people that had died during slavery. Facts. As a, as, as a filmmaker, um, given that we're now, you know, multiple decades into documentaries uh, calling to attention um, a lot of environmental uh, dangers and threats, etc. Um, how do you keep your optimism and your hope alive around using documentary film as a tool for activism and information and public involvement? That's a great question because, um, you know, there've been a ton of these documentaries made and have, have they really had an impact? I think with some, with the select audience, it's a little preaching to the choir. They do. I'm hoping that this story being a story about not tree hugging, you know, coastal elite green people, but real working class people will have an impact. Um, Diane is not, you know, Diane and the other water keepers that she has, these are people who were employed by these plants. They believe in the economy. Uh, Boy, there's a couple, there's some Republicans that she's, that she's brought to her cause who are directly affected by the, they're just downwind from Formosa's giant flare where they flare off these chemicals and it's basically destroyed their ranch. Um, So I'm hoping that that's the game changer here, that these people uh, we'll see that Diane is an ally and that she's doesn't come from some sort of uh, easily boxed in green leftist thing, but she's, she's just the real deal and she's out there fighting. And that's what I found with all these water keepers. They're just yeah, and regular the, folks. The, the impact on your life, Diane, is not theoretical. It's not like you're on some uh, college campus and you've read a number of papers on this and you decided to jump in your Volvo and go to a protest. That that wasn't the case. I mean, there's a real from a, you know, from a filmmaking perspective, there's a real there's an Aaron Brockovich flavor to this. There's a Karen Silkwood flavor to it. Right. There's a Norma Ray feeling to it. And yeah. And it sometimes does does feel like um, change can only happen when somebody can make a personal connection to the protagonist in the story, but also how, you know, an individual uh, can be impacted by uh, by these events. Yeah. You you know, I know uh, because I'm I'm only a high school education I've only been a fisherwoman my whole life. And so when I started fighting this company, first of all, they couldn't believe a fisherwoman could generate anything. So they kept thinking, well, who is the man behind her? Because it really couldn't be her. But but the thing of it is, is I I I I even had doubts about myself. I knew nothing about wastewater permits, about anything. And so I kept thinking there is bound to be someone's going to come along. They're going to have a uh, master's degree in biology and all of this. And I kept thinking there was someone much better at it than I was going to be. And I waited and waited and I looked around. And after about the fourth year, I realized I was the perfect person because I had a passion for that bay and I did not give up. 
And where are we now uh, in the making of your film? Uh, as I as I mentioned before, uh, you you've cut together a, a very powerful uh, trailer uh, for the film. I know that you're, or I believe at least you're in the process of of raising funds to continue filming. But facts give us the the latest update. I've got about a third of the film shot. <clears throat> I've been down to visit Diane and shoot down there in South Texas five times now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've partnered with Filmmakers Collaborative as a 501c3. We're seeking funds. I literally raise a little bit of money, go to Diane, shoot for a few days and come back and just log it all. Um, so we're raising money to, to finish the production of the film. We're in the middle of it right now. <clears throat> so if you have this feels compelling to you out there in podcast land, go to the filmmakers collaborative website and throw us a few bucks on the donation page and uh, we'll put it to good use. I promise. No doubt. And we'll, we'll, we will be certain uh, to have all the necessary links in the program notes for this podcast, but also through all of the, um, the sharing of our conversation in social media. So people will be able to find uh, ways to support your film and to uh, bring it to completion and more importantly, bring it to the audiences that it deserves. Uh, and maybe it is thinking too far down the road, but had, have you given some thought as to what's going to be the most impactful way, um, you know, to present the finished film to audiences? Yeah. I mean, we hope to get it on a, on a streaming service a Netflix or an HBO or, um, and, you know, there's another pathway to do the festival circuit and try and raise interest that way. But um, we're, you know, we're open to to getting it out there. You know, really, I would love to have this on a broadcast network to reach a bigger audience if possible. Yeah, um, I do think it's a it's an issue that's front and foremost and it's the few it's going to come up on us fast. It's these water problems. Well, it's interesting. Um, it, maybe I'm uh, I'm uh, stretching the connection, but facts. You're you're telling a story here about a woman who has positioned herself against huge forces uh, that that are arrayed against her, which is not. Uh, a new concept for you uh, about 20 something years ago, you told the story of w- one guy in the person of Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> yeah. uh, who had some pretty strong forces arrayed against him. A lot of them having to do with the climate, but also, <laughs> you know, the, the, the government in the Philippines when he was trying to make uh, apocalypse. Now uh, the Emmy award winning uh, documentary is called hearts of darkness, uh, a filmmaker's apocalypse. I can't, uh, recommend it more strongly. If you're a fan of Apocalypse Now, you really don't have the full appreciation for the film until you see this documentary. But I'm curious, what did you learn in that process that you carry over to tell this type of a story? Well, there's a similarity, actually. I don't think I've ever told you this, Dan, but you and Francis are are working against um, epic forces that are buffeting everything that you're trying to do. And yet you continue and you persist and you work and you work and you work at it towards, uh, you know, and, and with the, with the, without a feel of fear of failure. I mean, certainly there is the possibility of failure in all these efforts, but you continue on and doing it to do it. And so I find there are kindred spirits there. This is a, this is an epic tale of somebody who's, who's working and giving everything that they've got for a cause that they believe in passionately. 
and Francis did the same thing. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Well, I think characters I'm for... fascinated by. <laughs> yes, that's obvious. I thank you both for your time and for sharing this story. Um, we're going to keep in touch. I hope you do, both of you, come back on and uh, speak with me when the film is finished. Um, and uh, we'll be sure to let the, uh, not only our listeners, but uh, anyone who's in the Filmmakers Collaborative Network be aware of when it's out in the world. In the meanwhile, uh, interested parties are invited and encouraged to contribute to the making of the film, um, and we'll look forward to the finished product. So I thank you both, Fax Barr and Diane Wilson. Thank you, Michael, so much. Excellent. Appreciate it. Take care. <laughs>